So today I thought that we would get above the divide in a in the topic of salvation. It seemed appropriate with uh, baptism. Speaking of which, parents, please don't let your kids come up here after the service. I don't think we can drain this thing right away. And so there is going to be a tub that either big little ones can get really wet with or little little ones can find themselves swimming or hopefully nothing worse than swimming in. So please watch your kids because this is not as safe as our stage often is. But with that all said, I want to talk about the, the... the issue of salvation. And I want to try to hit two different subjects on this message. So this is a double-double message. This one's got two creams, two sugars. This is extra bonus messages going on here, which means that I'm going to have to talk faster and you're going to have to listen faster for us to get everything done in the time allotted according to a culture that um, has the attention span of a TV show. Amen. Did you know that that happened to us when we were growing up? 35 minutes with commercials. That's all you got, Rob. Other places in the world, they're like, what, the message was only two hours? Didn't you prepare? So the topic of salvation. What are we saved from? And who saves us? We are saved by whom? These are topics that Christians have different perspectives on. And I want to help us get above the divide on these things. What does it mean to be saved? And I want to help us get there by sharing a quick story. The other night we had a friend over who um, is a long-haul COVID defeater. Is that an okay way? Someone who had long-haul COVID and is now doing so much better. And... You know, I'm not a doctor, but I do play one on TV. And what I understand about COVID is that it it seems to me to be a very strange virus. I have heard that up to 20% of people who get COVID are asymptomatic. They don't even know they have it. And yet the same virus can hit somebody and it can ruin their lungs and even infect their brain so that their brain doesn't work properly and can cause people to get completely fatigued, to no longer be able to smell or taste anything, not because there's something happened to their tongue or their nose, but because the things in their brains that realize that they're tasting and smelling aren't working properly can cause massive depression and stuff like this, even to the point of suicidal thoughts that's just being impacted by the virus doing things. Things in your brain. Again, I'm not a doctor, but this is what you hear and have sometimes seen experienced. And this is one of the things about long haulers is people who get the virus get pretty sick and they just aren't getting better. One month, two months, three months, four months, five months later. Though sometimes, for one reason or another, they do spontaneously get amazingly better. And our friend has this story, and you may, I, they shared it in the news, so you've probably already heard it already. But long story short, we were having this talk, and we were actually talking about like harder things, and, and they were saying, I don't have anything hard to talk about. I'm just so happy. Because I'm doing so much better than I was, I find it hard to not be happy all the time. Because 
the worst parts of my sickness were so bad. I was so exhausted. I was so depressed. I was so panicked. I was so suicidal that now that I'm better, I am just happier all the time because I know what it's like to have gone down to the very depths that all you can think about is that death must be better than this. And having tasted the worst, now just being okay is heaven on earth. And they're even saying, my lungs aren't even better. I may never run again, but I don't care because this is so much better than how bad it can be. And I said to them afterwards, that is the Christian life. We learn from God in his word that we need to be saved. And he tells us how bad it is and how bad it can be. And by believing him, we want to get saved. And because we're saved, we're so happy that even though now is not great, it is so much better than it could be. Amen? And that's the experience of being saved. And so what, as we're going to talk about this, I want to just emphasize again the need for revelation. When it comes to finding out what it means to be saved, we need God to tell us the truth. You don't know what happens after you die. I don't know what happens after I die. Nobody really knows what happens after we die. And even when people have near-death experiences or they come back from resuscitation, you don't know if that's just their brain doing weird things. You don't know if it's a demon. Nobody knows the truth except for God himself. And if God doesn't tell us how bad things are, we don't know how bad things are. And if God doesn't tell us what happens after you die, we don't really know what happens after you die. But if God has revealed to us, that's what revelation is, where God speaks about how bad things actually are and how bad it can actually get, including after death, we need him to tell us. And you know what? Can I just say something in love? I don't really care what you think happens after you die or after I die. It isn't worth a toot in the wind. I need God to tell me, or I don't know anything. It's just make-believe. It's just imagination. It's just a Marvel movie. For all we know, Dr. Strange is going to come out and make a little portal in the sky, and we can all go back in time and fix everything and live forever. Get a bunch of gems on, on a big Michael Jackson glove and snap people in and snap people out. It's all make-believe, unless God has spoken. And if God has spoken, then we know, and we need to deal with what he said. Amen? So I'm going to try to talk about salvation by talking about what we get saved from so that we can be happy that we aren't going to go through the worst and we can enjoy what we've been given. Amen? Does that make sense? You tracking with me so far? Okay, I'm just going to say again as well, I'm not from Steinbeck. I'm a Scottish guy from the West Coast. I never went to church growing up, and so I have no intention to sound like a scary preacher from your past who made it sound like you could never be saved growing up. If that was your experience and you grew up in church and you just felt like every Sunday they were just telling you you're going to hell, there's nothing you can do about it, that's not what I'm intending to do today. 
That was not my experience growing up. I just watched TV. That's all I did. I played video games and I watched TV until I got saved at the age of 18 and found out there was something called the Bible that you could read to find out about God. That's my experience. But I know that a lot of people around here have totally different experiences going to church and just being terrified every Sunday with the hope that it would make you behave when you went home or something like that. That's not my intention to cause those emotions today. But I I do believe that this is God's word. And I I, w- I love truth, okay? I love the Bible. I just want to know the truth. I don't care if it's good news. I don't care if it's bad news. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be lied to. I just want the truth. And thank God the truth is good news. Thank God that no matter how bad I describe it can get, we have a Savior today who has come to save us from it all. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you put your trust in him today, you're saved. If you really believe in your heart, I'm getting to the end of the message before. The Bible promises us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's God, that he's the boss, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the God I'm I'm talking about today. So if I'm talking about danger, I want to also talk about the Savior. So what kinds of stuff are you saved from? I'm sorry for the small font, but I want it all up here on one slide for my sake. This is part. This isn't the whole thing, but I'm trying to grab a bunch of different truths. Number one, we're saved from our sin by the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what sin is in a nutshell? It's when we do or think or feel something that's a crime against the nature of God. When we do something that we were never intended to do as people, when we, when we do something that breaks God's heart or diminishes his glory or tells a lie about him, when we do something wrong or say something wrong or even feel something that's wrong on purpose that's against God, we've sinned. We were created to know God and love God and be perfect in his sight. We were created to be his precious, treasured creations, his image bearers. We were created for everything to be perfect and nothing to go wrong, but we were deceived and we are tempted and now we can do things that are against God and all that stuff gets kind of put under the heading of sin and we need to be forgiven of our crimes against God and when we're saved one of the one of the perspectives of being saved is that we get to be forgiven for what we've done wrong in God's sight And that involves the cross and the mystery of God. God said that if my son goes to earth and lives a perfect life, but is treated like a criminal and goes to the cross and dies as a sinner on the cross, I will accept his perfect life as a sacrifice for sin. I treat him like a sinner on the cross so that sinners can be treated like the son of God in life. And that divine exchange happens, but we need to be forgiven. And that's part of what being saved means. I'm forgiven of my sins in the sight of God. We're also rescued from Satan. Colossians 1.13, this is what the Bible says, that he, meaning Jesus, has delivered us. Sorry, this is the Father, I think. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oops, the first one got into the second one. 
Okay, this is, that's a bonus one as well. You got a little overlap. You know, it's not like one piece of pepperoni here and one piece of pepperoni there on your pizza. It's like layers of meat, okay? So you're forgiven of your sin. And because you're forgiven of your sin, it means that you're now rescued from being under the dominion of darkness. You're rescued from being under the authority of Satan. You get to get free from the influence of the power of the prince of darkness in your life. And I do believe in him. Amen? This is one of the things that happens when you believe in the God of the Bible, you end up having to also believe in his enemy. Amen? If this book is true, there is a Satan. And the Bible says that if you are stuck under your sin, if you're not forgiven by God, you are stuck under the authority of the devil. Would anybody pay a thousand bucks for a verbo experience of being under the domain of darkness? Come for a one-week stay in New York. In devil land or whatever it is. Come and be under the domain. Anybody want that? No, you get to be rescued from this. You get to be saved from having, being under the authority of Satan. And you get moved into the kingdom of God instead. You get to say, Jesus is my Lord. Instead of, without necessarily even saying it, Satan is my Lord. Just because you're stuck in your sin. Third thing, you get rescued from the wrath of God. First, First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says this. He's talking to a church and he's saying, all the people around you know that you're real believers. And it says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. So when we came to you to preach the gospel, you believed. And it says, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God, to serve the living and true God, excuse me, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us or saves us or rescues us from the wrath to come. Okay, so what is wrath? If there is such a thing as sin, which is a crime against God, God's just response to that crime is his wrath. When he responds to injustice with his justice, when he responds to sin with his righteousness, think Noah's flood, think Sodom and Gomorrah's fire from heaven. When God, in his time, punishes sin that's called the wrath of god and it's not him flying off the handle and it's not him being mean it's justice coming to the earth and it's always fair and it's always right and it's always good but it destroys what's going wrong and you know what we know that there are some times when wrong things need to get destroyed amen when bad things need to they're not getting fixed and they just need to get wrecked Okay, at Calvary Chapel, we have no pet mice. They suffer the wrath of Rob when they come in here. We have traps all over the building. Those things need to die because they ruin the church and they poop all over the place and they can even spread viruses. There is no mercy for mice in this building. They get wrath because they, they cannot be redeemed. And I know we're kind of joking, but we get it. We understand that there are things in this life that won't get fixed and they need to be wrecked. And that's what the wrath of God is. When the time comes to destroy what will not be redeemed, that's the wrath of God. And we get to be rescued from that in Jesus. We get the confidence of knowing that when God comes, it's not for punishment. When God comes, it's not for wrath. When God comes, it's for rescue. It's for love. It's to save us. It's to deliver us. It's to bring us home and not to get rid of us. We're rescued from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. So everybody who got baptized and you confessed, I know your future. 
Miss Cleo knows. I'm not Miss Cleo, but I can tell you what your future is. You are not going to be punished under the wrath of God. You are going to be rescued through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also get rescued from an eternal punishment. And this is where we were beginning to touch on things that, like any one of these points people can disagree about, but generally when people don't believe in sin anymore, they're no longer really Christians anymore. Okay, that's, they might call themselves Christians, but they tend to have become liberal Christians where people don't, who don't actually believe in the Bible anymore. And they call themselves Christians because they're at a church or whatever. But most of Christianity through most of history has thought, if you don't believe there's such a thing as sin, you're actually outside of the circle of what it means to be a real Christian. Most of the church throughout most of history has thought, if you don't actually believe there's a devil or spirits like that, you're kind of outside of biblical Christianity. You're doing your own thing, and that's fine, and hopefully it turns well for you because it probably won't. But if you don't believe that, you're kind of outside the spectrum of what it means to still be within the truth. There's some disagreement about what happens, what people call life after life after death. What happens after the judgment? There's some disagreement here, and I think even in our town or something like that, and I'm not totally on top of it, but I'm going to share with you how I read the Bible and what my perspective is, and I'll let you and your conscience before the Lord read the Scripture as well. I believe that there is such a thing as an eternal punishment. And I'm going here to Revelations 20, verse 10. And this is only a portion of it, and you can read the rest for yourself. And I hope you do. But this is talking about the final judgment. So this is after Jesus has returned. This is when the final judgment is happening. So we've transitioned out of human history into, like, the entrance into the rest of eternity. So there's a significant difference here. It's not just like forever in this life. It's like forever in forever. Let me try to illustrate here. So anybody know Randy Travis? Old country singer. I'm gonna love you forever. Should I put a bit more twang on there? Forever and every man. Anybody familiar with that song? When Randy Travis sings to his girl, I'm gonna love you forever, people don't respond. You filthy dog liar. You can't love someone forever. You're going to die. She's going to die. You can't do it. Right? We know that when he sings forever, he means like until I die, essentially. Clear? Okay. Talking about the time that happens after people have died and then gone to judgment and have stood before the Lord. God talking about that phase, he says about the devil, it says, and the devil who had deceived them, meaning the saints, or the world, sorry, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. The beast represents unbelieving nations in the world, and the false prophet represents um, unbelieving religion in the world. That's how I understand it. And they will be tormented day and night forever. So in the lake of fire, this, this place you don't want to be. Can we all agree? Okay, this is not a hot tub. This is like the place you don't want to be. It ends up using this, this idea of torment that goes day and night forever and ever. Day and night meaning like all the time and forever and ever meaning like all the time. 
And so when I read this, even though it's a very uncomfortable and unpleasant thought, it sure seems to me that the Bible is using the kinds of words that would mean it's going on and on and on and on. Not in like life where things end and things die, but in the eternal stage where things go on and on forever. Like when you go to heaven, you are in heaven forever. Would anybody want to go to heaven just for a few years? No, I don't want to go for he- to heaven for a few years. If I found out it was just Jesus for 50 years and then something else... No, like, I want, I want a different contract. I want the forever that doesn't end with Jesus. So it is a very unpleasant thought, and there is some disagreement, but this is how I read the Bible, I, and I think that the mercy is that you get saved from this. And I think sometimes when we're working through this stuff, and this isn't everybody's case, and I'm not reading anybody's heart, but sometimes people can look at this and think, this sounds like a very unpleasant thing. Um, I don't know if I could believe in that. I understand that kind of thinking. For me, I'm in for whatever the Bible says. Um, and I know that there are unpleasant things. I, I would love it if there were no such thing as COVID long haul. I've got one person I know who has come out of it. I have another brother in the Lord who has not come out of COVID long haul. And the idea of thinking about it is very unpleasant. And yet here it is. I would love it if there was no such thing as child abuse. And yet, there it is. I would love it if there was no such thing as the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or ISIS-K. And yet, there it is. The question isn't, do these things exist? It's like, how do you not, how do you, how do you get saved from this? And how you get saved is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you believe that... God wants to rescue people and believe, believe that he wants to rescue you from this. And the way out is his beloved son that he gave you to be your friend and savior and Lord and master. And people need to hear about it. So this is something that people disagree about. And this is, I understand there's spectrums for me. This is how I read it. But I think by and large, how do you be a wise Christian in this age? This is my opinion on it. Whatever people think about eternal punishment and what happens afterwards... I think in order to be a faithful Christian, you have to believe that it's something you don't want to happen. To you or anybody else, because it's not good. Okay, I think to be faithful, you have to hear God saying, what happens afterwards when you're separated from God is just not good. So, so don't let it happen to you. Get saved. Come to Jesus. Get saved. Get forgiven. Get saved. Escape the wrath. Get saved. So there's number one. Oh, I've got so much time left. Hokey doodle. This is awesome. I think I'm having my most efficient sermon ever. You're welcome. So good. Saved by whom? How do people get saved? Who's the decisive person who gets somebody saved? Is it my will? Is it God's will? Is it your will? Is it your parents' will? This is one of the greatest divides in church history. Sometimes it's called the dualism side versus the monoenergic side. Anybody put off by my big words yet? I know I am. Um, Sometimes it's the Calvinism versus Arminianism debate. Sometimes it's the free will versus predestination debate. Anybody heard of this stuff? Okay, so you're not everybody's, people have heard about this. It's a big divide. 
And it's a divide that often comes up right when God's trying to do a big thing in the church and then Christians start fighting about this stuff. And one of my biggest examples is the Great Awakening in America. And I'm not sure if it was the first or second Great Awakening, but you had some of the biggest names in American church history active at that time. It was um, John Wesley and George Whitfield. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church that was like the biggest spreading church at its time in North America, and George Whitfield, who is often called like the most prolific um, uh, English-speaking preacher ever, George Whitfield averaged four sermons a day for his entire adult life. Okay, think about that. That was his average. Four sermons a day for his entire adult life in England and in America. And Benjamin Franklin said, anybody know about Benjamin Franklin, founding father, lightning bolts, kite? He tested one time, George Whitfield was preaching, and he, he walked away from George Whitfield preaching. He wanted to see how far away he could get from George Whitfield and still hear him preaching, and it was like over a mile. This guy was just designed for open-air preaching back in the 17 or 1800s, whenever this was. But these, these gentlemen were both active in America during one of the greatest spreads of the gospel in the U.S. history. But somewhere along the lines, Whitfield, who is a Calvinist, and Wesley, who is Arminian, they started kind of writing against these subjects and caused a real big rift between the two of them and the people that they influenced about this issue what's god's activity in somebody getting saved what's human will's activity in somebody saved all this stuff and so i think a wise christian should realize that that this question of how people get saved what's god doing what's my heart doing what's my head doing what's other people doing how does this all work is one of the topics that explodes in the bad way churches and movements and stuff like this clear Okay, we're all adults here. If not, sign up for children's ministry. But the fact that you're not in children's ministry tells me that you should be old enough to like learn something this morning and handle this without throwing anybody out of a moving vehicle. So I think we should know that this divide is there. And then next, decide if we want to be a divide, division causer over this issue. Like, Just decide, like, do I want to split a church over this stuff? Because okay, if you don't decide beforehand, you'll probably do it in the moment if that makes sense, right? It's too late to put your seatbelt on after you've hit the tree. Amen? Okay. So I just want to say this has been a huge divide in the church, and we should be very shrewd that we don't become suckers for Satan about this stuff. My perspective. So you're welcome. This is the right one. Way to be blessed. You have chosen the right church. Out of all the churches in the universe you could attend on this Sunday morning, you're welcome. I didn't make this up. A guy named John Frame pointed this out, but I think there's so much wisdom in here that I, I just... And, and this stopped me from ever getting upset about this issue ever again. I think biblically there are three perspectives on how people get saved. My part, our part, and God's part. And it's one event, and you can look at it with different perspectives. Does that make sense? Right now I've got this Bible here, and you can look at this Bible with different perspectives. There's this side that looks really big. There's also this side that looks really thin. I can also open it up. 
And all of a sudden, for you guys, it went from black to white. You tracking with me? Well, it must be three different Bibles. No, it's one Bible, but you can look at it different ways. This way, this way, this way. You can look at the same thing different ways. And what I'm saying this morning is I want to teach us how to look at the one event of the transformation that comes along with salvation. That salvation event where people move from being unbelievers to being believers, where people are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, when people go from being servants of Satan to sons of God, all this stuff, that moment. What's going on there? I think there's three perspectives that you have to reckon with biblically if you're going to be faithful in thinking about this stuff. My part, our part, God's part. And what I want to do is I want to take us to, oh, that turned out smaller than usual. I want to take us to three places in one book, in the book of Romans, in one section, chapters 9 and 10. And I'm picking one place because I want to show you from Scripture that these three perspectives are functioning even in the mind of God as he explains salvation in his Scriptures, okay? I'm trying to show you that I'm not just trying to be smart. I'm not just making this stuff up. I really think that this is in the Bible. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be talking about this this morning. Three perspectives in Scripture, in one book, from the mind of God, for the people of God to believe. My part. But what does it say? Meaning the Word of God. The Word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when it comes to salvation, that's my part. It's my part to believe. It's my part to believe the truth, that Jesus is Lord. It's my part to confess that he's raised from the dead. It's my part to come to God and believe. Amen? And people were doing that this morning. They were kind of confessing, I believe. From my heart, I believe. Hallelujah. And there was a time, I can tell you, I'm not speaking for anybody else, I can tell you, I was saved when I was 18, and I remember what it was like to not be believers. Okay, when you're saved really young, that is wonderful. And I want that for all my kids, and praise God, I think that has happened. It's great to be saved young. But you might not remember what it's like to feel like a craven, God-hating sinner. Amen? I remember. I remember hating the idea of God. I remember wishing, hoping that it's not true about Jesus. Oh God, doing my most sinful, sinful clicks on the computer, hoping, oh please don't let it be true about a holy God. Please, please don't let it be true. I don't want this to be true. I remember. And I remember that moment where all of a sudden, reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis out of my grandparents' cabin all those years ago, I remember the sensation of going from Jesus is make-believe that I don't want to be true to Jesus is real and he's everything I've ever wanted. And I got down on the bed, by the bed, on my knees, because I probably saw it on TV somewhere. You know, that's all I did. 
And I just said, I give you my heart, Jesus. I need a new heart. The heart I have is, is gross. I don't like it. I hear that you give new hearts. In fact, I hear you come into hearts and make other people's hearts you. I want you to be my heart. And it totally happened. Amen? So I remember that. But that's my part, the believing part. There's also an hour part that happens at the same time. And by hour, I mean like people working to get people saved. I'm talking about missions. I'm talking about spreading the gospel. I'm talking about writing books. I'm talking about telling your kids the story of Jesus around the dinner table. I'm talking about coming to church and hearing the word of God. There's this activity in history that isn't just like locked inside of someone's heart or mind about like feelings and thoughts changing, but actually people doing the work of trying to get people saved. And this is what Paul says right after what I read. He says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For they have not all obeyed the gospel, talking about the Jewish people. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have heard from us or what he has heard from us? And so he summarizes this by saying, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do people get saved? They hear the gospel. Somebody goes and tells. Somebody goes and talks. Somebody goes and argues and tries to convince. Somebody gathers money and gives it to frontiers so that they can prep people for missions and send them off to Afghanistan after it's blowed up again. Somebody does the work of talking on a Sunday morning and telling you about Jesus. And you hear with your ears and you think, huh, this kind of makes sense. Because my life is a steaming pile of rotten manure. And, and I need to get saved. And so there's somebody who does that. His name is Jesus. I think I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Okay? And that's happening at the same time as the heart changing like, I don't believe to... Whoa, I believe. Tracking with me? So that's the hour part. And in my story, it was C.S. Lewis writing a, writing a book. Good old Narnia man. I love that guy so much. The other year, uh, sorry, we are not a crying church, I promise. That was a lie. That's the biggest lie. I'm so sorry. I repent. Forgive me, God. I found an audio recording of C.S. Lewis teaching on the four loves. And I heard the voice of the man that led me to Jesus for the first time. And I just wept. I cannot wait to meet him. Jesus more, but C.S. Lewis like up there. Because he, he took the time to tell people about God. And because he did that, I'm here and I'm going to heaven. So that's our part. And now here's the controversial stuff, okay? Put on your belts, slap on your depends, pop a Xanax, we're going in hard, Okay. Romans, not, this came before the my part and the our part, okay? <laughs> I don't even know what people give. Something a little bit, just maybe some, some sweet iced tea. We'll just go a little bit calmer there, whatever. 
Get some sweet ass tea there, Bo. Romans 9.21. Because this whole section in Romans is Paul trying to deal with the fact that even though the Messiah came, so many Jewish people aren't turning to him, which is a theological crisis. If the Jewish Messiah has come and 90% of the Jews don't come, that's a problem. Why should the Gentiles come if the Jews don't even want him? That's a problem. And so one of the aspects, if this is a salvation issue, one of the things that Paul is trying to deal with is to get a God perspective on why people come and don't come sometimes. Because if, if you don't get that, this is chaos. If you don't have a theology of God's sovereignty and salvation, it's probably Satan in charge. Because his temptations are so much stronger than my persuasions. Amen? So talking about God's sovereignty over Israel's belief, he says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us who he has called, not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And how I understand this, what he's trying to say is, hey, even in all of the us preaching and people coming and not coming, even amongst all the people choosing and believing or not believing, there is a God who is working out this plan and he prepares some for one thing and he prepares others for one thing. And who are you to judge? It's just time to be quiet and listen. Because God's got his part in what's going on too. And if you want to go and read that section for yourself, you're welcome to. But Romans 9 is not meant to make anybody feel comfortable. It's meant to make us feel like we have no right to judge how God is ruling the world. I think there's God's part that he's so sovereign over who comes and who doesn't come. I think there's my part. I get to choose whether I have faith or not. I think there's our part. We have to do the works of mission or else people aren't coming home. And so I'm going to end. Hallelujah, you're saying. Time for the end. You know, my crock pot is ready to boil over. By sharing with you one of my favorite verses about salvation from the mouth of Jesus that ties together all of these things in such a way that I weep almost every time I read this stuff. Jesus, again, talking to his brothers and sisters, the Jewish people, trying to sort out the fact that some of them will believe and come to him, but many of them will not, even though he is their God, come to them for salvation. Again, it's a problem. Isn't this a bit of a problem? Jesus comes to Israel. He's their God and their Messiah, and they kill him. Hello, anybody? If you went and got your car fixed from a shop, and before you even get it off, of the driveway, the engine seizes up and is dead, would you want to go back to that shop? No, because it would look like a failure. And so the mission of Jesus in some ways looks like a failure because so few people believed when he was on the earth, and he needs to give us a theology for that. And so he says to the crowds, this is after the feeding of the 5,000, says, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And this offer is here for you today. Want to never hunger spiritually? Want to never thirst spiritually ever again? His name is Jesus. But there's a problem. People don't come. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. That's amazing. That people could see Jesus with their eyes and not see him. What are we going to do? Are we going to get lost? Do we know the truth? Are we actually not saved? What are we going to do? So Jesus says this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Oh, there's the sovereignty of God. He gives people to Jesus. And, not but, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Sometimes when it talks about God chooses, people are like, so people can't come? God chooses? Oh, so people can't come? No. The Father gives people to Jesus, and if you want to come, you're in. Okay? If you want to come, there's no way God is going to keep you out. Amen? So come, so come, so come, so come. Oh, guys, come, come. Jesus says, whoever comes, you're not cast out. So come. This is one breath. With one breath, he says both things. The Father, whoever he gives to me, they're they're coming. Totally God's sovereignty. And you want to come, you're in. Amen? So there's, there's the my part. I wanted to come, and I did. There's the his part. I am a gift from the Father to the Son that he chose. That's why I came. Because God said, it's going to be Jesus' birthday someday. I should bring him something. That little scumbag, Rob Belfort, all his nasty sins and hating me, I think that's a good gift. I'm going to give him to my son. What about the our part? Jesus says, for I have come from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the, one, the will of the one who sent me. If he never came, none of this would have happened. If he never left heaven, I would have never been able to come and the Father's gift would have never arrived. It's all happening at the same time. Someone was sent, someone believed because God ruled over it sovereignly. And then Jesus gives us this huge promise so that we will trust him forever and never fall away. He says, and this is the will of the one who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Have you come to look to Jesus for eternal life? The father says to the son, don't lose them, Jesus, and so you won't be lost. This is our confidence. I have come to look to Jesus for eternal life. And the Father says, don't you lose them, Jesus. And so they will not be lost because Jesus died and rose again and lived forever and is sitting on the throne so that he has all power and all authority to make sure that because we looked, we are not lost. Amen. And it's all happening together at the same time. And this is our confidence. When you see other people struggle, you might see other people fall away. You say, I don't know what's going on there, but I have looked and I will not be lost. Amen. Have you looked? Okay. He's not going to lose you because he's not going to fail his father. He didn't go to the cross and then the grave and come out of it so that he could fail his father later. No, he already won so that he will always win and you are going to make it. You're going to make it because Jesus already won and you looked and so you're going to be saved. Amen? 
Okay, I'm out. Banned. Let's be wise Christians. Let's live above the divide. Let's enjoy our God.